Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Former President Donald Trump's special master held a phone conference yesterday. He urged both sides to be more cooperative. President Biden tapping the nation's oil reserves again, announcing a release for December. What he says as Republicans accuse him of trying to buy votes. A new poll shows that many Americans are unhappy about the state of the nation's democracy. However, there's a significant divide between Republicans and Democrats. Candidates in several states continue to battle over the nation's toughest issues. Are their arguments convincing voters? And Putin declares four disputed regions in Ukraine are now under Russian martial law. Russia unilaterally annexed the areas late last month, but has lately been losing ground. CDC advisors today unanimously voted to add COVID-19 vaccines to Vaccines for Children, a program aimed at making sure poor children and adolescents get certain vaccines. Tomorrow, the advisors will vote on an updated childhood immunization schedule. Some are concerned that COVID-19 vaccines could be added to the schedule, which could lead to the vaccines being mandated for school children in some states. In response, the CDC tweeted today that states establish vaccine requirements for school children, not the advisory committee nor the CDC. The child and adolescent schedules are portrayed as guidance, but a number of states adopt some or all of the recommended vaccines as required immunizations for school attendance. And Special Master Judge Raymond Deary held a phone conference yesterday with the DOJ and former President Trump's attorneys. The judge expressed frustration and skepticism. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Special Master Judge Raymond Deary appears frustrated. In a half-hour phone conference with attorneys on Tuesday, he discussed the potentially slow process of working through privacy claims. For example, he can't make a decision about a copy of a letter addressed to the DOJ that was found in documents taken from Mar-a-Lago. The DOJ hasn't confirmed whether they previously received it. On the other hand, Deary expressed skepticism about documents former President Trump's attorneys said were privileged. He can't decide whether the documents are private because he indicated Trump's attorneys didn't provide enough information. He asked for a clearer explanation of why the documents shouldn't be given to the Justice Department. In a separate case filed in Manhattan, Trump was scheduled to testify Wednesday in response to a subpoena. Writer E. Jean Carroll sued Trump for defamation. Carroll had accused Trump of raping her in the mid-1990s. After Trump denied the allegations and said she was lying, Carroll filed the lawsuit, claiming he hurt her reputation. The confidential testimony was scheduled to occur at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. In the January 6th investigation, a federal judge has ruled that Trump's former attorney, John Eastman, must turn over four emails to the January 6th committee. Judge David Carter said the emails showed Trump continued to tout voter fraud even though he knew that the specific numbers he was citing were wrong. Carter also said the emails are likely related to the crime of obstruction. Most Republicans say that America's democracy isn't working well at the moment. 
At the same time, most Democrats seem to be pretty optimistic about it. That's according to a new poll. We spoke with a professor of political science to find out more about the poll's numbers and the divide between the American people. According to a new poll released by the Associated Press, almost 70% of Republicans say the state of democracy in the U.S. is not doing well. That's compared to only 40% of Democrats who say the same. That's a reversal from two years ago, when Trump was still in office. Back then, most Democrats felt pessimistic about the state of democracy, while many fewer Republicans said they felt so. It does seem to fit with a pattern of if your candidate doesn't win the presidency, then you're not going to be that happy. Charles Bullock is a professor of political science at the University of Georgia. He says we used to have presidents who could build bipartisan coalitions, which worked fairly well. Now uh, we've become so polarized that very few voters are willing to acknowledge that the other party and its candidates are doing something good for the country. Instead, they're more likely to view them as being dangerous to the whole future of the country. President Biden and many voters consider so-called MAGA Republicans to be a danger to America, while many Republicans accuse Democrats of endangering the country's future, making it hard to work together. However, Professor Bullock says the two do unite under special circumstances. You hate to, to say this and certainly don't want to predict it or encourage it, but what might draw both Democrats and Republicans together would be if they saw an existential threat to the nation, in which case then you'd hope that there would be kind of a rally around the flag mentality so that you could put aside your own partisan preferences and, and unite. He added that no one hopes for a disaster to happen, but when it happens, such as after 9-11, people tend to put their differences aside and unite. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. The Internal Revenue Service will let Americans keep more of their income next year due to inflation. Since tax rates are automatically adjusted for inflation, there will be higher cutoffs for all seven income tax brackets and a higher standard deduction when you file your tax return. For example, the income thresholds for the top tax rate 37% are going up 7% from this year. And the standard deduction, the baseline income people can claim tax-free, will see the largest increase since 1985. The standard deduction for married couples will rise by $1,800. For individuals, it's a $900 increase. And what's happening across the nation as midterm season heats up? While candidates in Illinois and Florida are debating top issues, some voters in Arizona say only one thing is on their minds. NTD's Arlene Richards has the updates. Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker and his Republican opponent Darren Bailey faced off in Illinois Tuesday night. Bailey blasted the incumbent governor for his stance on abortion. Governor Pritzker is perfectly fine with our children getting abortions without their parents knowing anything about it. I think that's extreme. Pritzker says he supports women exercising their rights. He wants to jail doctors and jail women oh, who are seeking to exercise their reproductive rights. On the issue of transgender surgeries for adolescents, Bailey accused the governor of taking parents out of the decision process. Pritzker denied the allegation but said he supported the LGBTQ community's right to make their own decisions. Early voting has already started in some counties in Illinois, with others beginning October 24th. Over in Florida, incumbent Senator Marco Rubio battled with Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings on issues like voting rights. We should protect voting rights for everyone, and we need a federal law to keep 
everybody accountable. Rubio argued that it's never been easier to vote in Florida. I have been a Hispanic man my entire life. I'm a minority. I've never felt like producing an ID disadvantages my ability to vote. Demings enters the final weeks of her campaign in a stronger position than many observers expected in the conservative-leaning state. In Arizona, some voters are focused on one issue. Abortion seems to be a big issue at current. Roe v. Wade, the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Probably just uh, reproductive care. For the U.S. Senate, Democratic incumbent Mark Kelly faced off against Trump-endorsed Republican Blake Masters. What do voters have to say about their debate? Kelly just, I don't, I don't think he had a great debate. I don't think there's enough of the two candidates talking about the issues. Early voting in Arizona began Wednesday, October 12th, and will run until Friday, November 4th. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. More oil released from the strategic reserves. How President Biden defends his move and what Republicans are warning about. NTD's Iris Tao brings us more from the White House. President Biden is releasing another 15 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The president says the move will tame gas prices and he pins the current high costs on Russia. Here's what he says. With my announcement today, we're going to continue to stabilize markets and decrease the prices at a time when the actions of other countries have caused such volatility. So far, the administration has released roughly 165 million barrels of oil from the reserve. And adding what's in today's announcement, Biden will have withdrawn over 180 million barrels. That's the largest ever release from the emergency oil reserve, which is now as a result at a 40-year low. But Biden today defends his move, saying there's a lot of oil left and that the release will actually make money. By selling from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, at the higher price of $90 earlier this year, and then refilling it in the future at a lower price, around $70, will actually make money for the taxpayers. The move also comes as midterms are just now 19 days away. Recent polls have shown Republicans gaining support as more Americans put the economy as their top concern. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi admits in an interview published today that Democrats will have to message inflation better in the next three weeks ahead. And Republicans are zeroing in on Biden's economic policies. The Republican Energy and Commerce Committee said in a statement today that Biden is depleting our strategic petroleum reserve, further surrendering both our energy security and national security to countries like Russia and China. That's as Congressman Chris Stewart accuses Biden of trying short-term fix to buy votes ahead of the midterms. And here's Biden's response when questioned if today's move is politically motivated. Look, it makes sense. I've been doing this for how long now? It's not politically motivated at all. And Biden added he's instructed his team to look into further releases from the reserve if needed. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. The latest 15 million barrels is the last part of the release authorized in March, and it's not happening right away. Biden says it's planned for early December. And in international news, Russian President Vladimir Putin has declared martial law in four unilaterally annexed regions of Ukraine, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia. Putin also instructed the government to set up a special coordination committee to boost Moscow's war effort. It means he intends to fight back after a series of major losses since early September. Moscow claimed the four occupied regions as its own last month, but it's struggling to fend off Ukraine's advance. Following Putin's decree, Russian officials stationed in Kherson said about 50,000 civilians will be relocated as they were expecting an imminent Ukrainian attack. 
It remains to be seen how quickly or effectively the new order will strengthen Russia's military position on the ground or what the impact will have on the public opinion. Coming up, a corporate counterintelligence expert warns the Chinese Communist Party is focused 100% on global domination. That's following an FCC proposal to ban new Huawei and ZTE equipment. And a new documentary tells the true story of a group that secretly hijacked Chinese state-run media. The film's director shares some behind-the-scenes details. That and more here on NTD News. FCC is set to ban approvals of new telecommunications equipment from China's Huawei Technologies and ZTE in the U.S. on national security grounds. That's according to an agency document first reported by Axios. Earlier today, I spoke with the CEO of corporate counterintelligence company Black Ops Partners, Casey Fleming, for his thoughts on the plan. Casey Fleming, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. The FCC looks poised to ban all U.S. sales of new Huawei and ZTE equipment. That's according to Axios. What's your take on this report? Uh, I think ban is excellent. It's the right thing to do, but I think it's too little, too late. So uh, I, I'll just give uh, an overall comment. We as Americans, when you understand the Chinese Communist Party and you understand their plan, uh, you, we, need to under, we need to understand that and believe that all technology from China, which is completely controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, we must assume that all technology is weaponized against the free world. In what ways could the Chinese Communist Party be weaponizing these, uh, this equipment against the U.S.? You have to understand uh, the strategy of the Chinese Communist Party. Americans and American companies and the free world think that the Chinese Communist Party has the same goals as we do, life goals, country goals, world goals, and so on, and they absolutely don't. They're focused on 100% global and world domination, and, and they intend never to coexist. So to answer your question, underneath those, the, underneath that umbrella, you have to understand the weaponization means espionage. These are critical uh, infrastructure for the Chinese Communist Party to absorb all uh, types of information, whether it's intellectual property, big data, tracking personal information, corporate information, uh, weather information, just absolutely everything that we use to control, to grow our country and to grow the free world, not control, but to grow our country and our free world. And you have to understand all that is being assembled back in China and under the CCP to use it against us now and in the future uh, under the guise of what is called unrestricted hybrid warfare. That is the name of their strategy, that they basically, unrestricted means they follow no rules. Hybrid warfare is they weaken their enemy, they call us their enemy, and they weaken their enemy by all means necessary. And the final phase would be conventional warfare after they've done over 100 different methods of weakening their enemy. And the U.S. has been aware of this strategy for quite some time. So why do you think the FCC would be looking to make this move only now? 
Because I think that we are finally waking up as a country and as a government to really what these issues are and what the true strategy of the Chinese Communist Party is. Like I mentioned in the, when we started this interview, uh, it's uh, a little uh, too little too late, but at least they're starting somewhere. And that's what I, I think you're seeing. You're seeing Americans finally waking up to the Chinese threat and it's a hundred percent war. People ask me, Casey, what do you think this is? And I say, what do you think World War III looks like? World War III is, is based on technology, hybrid warfare, and the final stages are the war that, uh, that we remember in the past, World War I, World War II, uh, you know, the conventional war with ships and guns and so on. This war is in our living rooms, it's in our, com in our companies, it's in our economy, it's in everything that we do, and it's targeted at civilians first and military in the final stage. That's why it's so critical that we understand it as a people. What else can the U.S. do to protect against this threat from China that you speak of? The number one thing we can do as a people is to raise our awareness to really what this hybrid warfare strategy is from the Chinese Communist Party. So it's raise awareness, continue to educate yourself, and change your behavior accordingly. Uh, one thing that most Americans can do, can vote, they can uh, raise their awareness, their education, and then start putting people in office in state, federal, local positions that'll they'll help fix this problem moving forward. China is not going away. The China, China is one country. It has uh, 1.4 billion people, but they're completely controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. And we as a country, we as citizens and as a government need to understand that. And they will never coexist with any other countries. And where can viewers turn if they want to start educating themselves on this topic? Um, one place to go is we actually connect the dots. Uh, you can go to our company page on LinkedIn, and every day we post about six to 10 articles on this hybrid warfare piece of it. You won't see it in mainstream media. Mainstream media, most of that is, co is uh, compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. That's the reason we connect the dots for you. Uh, nobody's gonna sell you anything, but I would recommend you follow our company page on LinkedIn. We also have a website, which is uh, Black Ops Partners. And so incidentally, that company page is Black Ops Partners in LinkedIn, and it's the same thing for, uh, for the website. All right, Casey Fleming, CEO of Black Ops Partners Corporation, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. About 20 years ago in China, a group of people hacked into the country's state-run media in an effort to broadcast the truth. Most of those involved later died in prison or shortly after their release. Now, a documentary that intertwines animation and live action tells of their epic journey. MTD's Jason Perry has the story. Based on actual events, the new documentary, Eternal Spring, shares the story of a group of people who secretly hacked into China's tightly controlled state-run media. The film takes place in 2002, after the Chinese Communist Party launched an all-out propaganda war against the peaceful spiritual practice Falun Dafa, also known as Falun Gong, which is based on truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. A group of practitioners dared to set the record straight, risking torture and even death to let others know about the goodness of Falun Dafa. Jason Loftus, the director of the film, which intertwines animation and live action, gave some behind-the-scenes details on Epic TV's American Thought Leaders. 
Loftus explained how he worked with renowned comic book artist Dao Shang, who has drawn for Justice League and Star Wars graphic novels, and who was personally connected to the events depicted in the film. In the early stages, we just wanted to see what Dashong was feeling, right? So it's just, just draw what you feel, just draw. And we weren't very specific about, about you know, here's, here's a scene that we want to have in the film. We didn't begin with that. Mm. And so this is where you get those scenes with him running from his own paintbrush, you know, marks. And, and this kind of, you can see how he's haunted by his, by his memories, by, um, you know, by the trauma that he had endured. And also you contrast that with this early scene about his childhood memories, you know, and what the city of Changchun meant to him and the nostalgia and the loss that he feels around that. And that really, he built that up. He describes Changchun as like a fairy tale world for children. That's, what, that's how he remembered it. He compared the group's resistance to the persecution to a plum blossom flower that blooms in the winter. Even though the conditions are still harsh, even in the aftermath of this TV hijacking, the, the persecution continues and people continue to be killed and imprisoned and tortured. Um, there is this sort of like small sign, you know, this small little flower that blooms it, that gives some hope to people for a better future where, where, you know, Falun Gong can be regarded not with hate and, and from the perspective of misinformation, but with a better understanding and, and tolerance. The film will be playing in theaters throughout the U.S. and Canada for a limited time. You can visit the website eternalspringfilm.com to get those details. Jason Perry, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Iranian female rock climber Elnaz Rakabi indeed arrived safely in Tehran Wednesday morning. Her friends and family had previously feared she was missing after she violated her country's stringent dress code during competition Sunday by not wearing a headscarf. The 33-year-old, who placed fourth in the event, had posted on her Instagram account that not wearing the headscarf was unintentional. The struggle that I had with wearing my shoes and preparing my gear made me forget about the proper hijab that I should have had, and I went to the wall and ascended. I returned to Iran in full health, and I apologized to the people of Iran for the turbulence and worry that I created for them. Rakabi's lack of a headscarf was seen as part of the wider protest against Iran's government, and her arrival was cheered by demonstrators outside the airport. The demonstration started last month following the beating and eventual death of a 22-year-old woman by the so-called morality police who arrested her for violating the dress code. In basketball news, WNBA star Brittany Griner celebrated her 32nd birthday Tuesday in a Russian prison with her lawyers. She released a statement saying, thank you everyone for fighting so hard to get me home. All the support and love are definitely helping me. Griner's defense team is preparing an appeal of her conviction, which will be heard next week. Although it's unlikely they'll reverse the decision, her legal team is hoping to reduce her nine-year prison sentence. And tonight in sports, Game 1 of the ALCS between the Astros and the Yankees starts at 7.30. Houston will send out Cy Young hopeful Justin Verlander to the mound, while the Yankees counter with Jamison Tyon. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.